You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, all right. How's everybody doing? So who's curious about Dollhouse? Oh, it's a mystery. What is he doing? Well, here's the deal. You could judge me all you want and say, oh, pastor's playing with dolls on stage. Listen, I'm going to talk to the dads right now, right? I know we work hard. We have a long day. You come home, but I pray that we would be men of the second shift, that when we come home, we are willing to get down on the floor with our kids, especially if you have daughters, and play. Who cares if they're dolls or not? Amen? All right, awesome. But I'm going to leave that a mystery. Who likes mysteries? Who likes to, like, be surprised by things? Raise them up. Raise them up. All right. All right. That's, you know, it's, you ever watch, <laughs> you ever watch a movie with somebody and the whole time they're trying to guess what's going to happen? Yes? All right. Who's annoyed by that person? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Now, who is that person? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Some people double raised. I'm, I'm a double raiser. I, I'm like, I get annoyed by people doing it, and at the same time, I'm like, oh, I know what's going to happen, right? She's, she's the murderer. Um, and so, um, but why? Are, we're, I think, in a lot of ways, infatuated with, with mysteries. Um, we, we like to be surprised, even if we don't like it. We, we, we kind of have this weird uh, thing inside of us. Um, I think we like solving mysteries because we truly dislike the unknown, we don't like to not know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Um, we don't like to not be in control. Who loves being in control? Yeah. And when it comes to, hey, husbands, don't nudge your wife. This is Valentine's Day weekend. There's no nudging. We don't like the unknown. And... At our core, we do desire to be in control and know what's going to happen. And I do think this is why many people struggle and cannot and do not put their trust in God because we can't fully wrap our minds around Him. We are these finite beings. And even though we may have an IQ of 150 or 160, 170, 180, we have limited understanding and limited knowledge. And we're trying to make sense of and wrap our minds around an infinite, holy, perfect, eternal God. And so when we think about this eternal God that has always existed, can you, can you wrap your mind around that? Never came into being never just appeared. He's always been outside of time. And he decides to create. And in essence, create time. And then in that, he creates the world and the mountains and the trees and the birds and the animals. And then you and me, man and woman. And, and he creates humanity inside of time, something that he is both inside of and outside of. I may switch my mics. Check, check. 
that better? All right. And so he creates humanity to be in relationship with him, to know him, to love him. And what does man go and do? Man goes and says, you know what? Although you've created all these things, although you've given us all this stuff, all this stuff to enjoy for us, we want more. And so what does humanity do? We sever relationship with God because we do the thing that he said is not good for us. There's a garden, and he says, you can enjoy everything in this garden. I've made everything from you. But be careful. Beware of this right here, this tree. It will bring you death. This is bad for you. And we said, but we want the thing, right, the mystery. We want the thing that we can't have because it will make us more like God. And so we sever this relationship. And so then, out of all of eternity, God sends his son to enter into where we are enter into human flesh, wrap himself in human, this perfect, holy, infinite, eternal God wraps himself in flesh. And he needs to drink water. And he needs his mom to change his diaper. And he needs to, he gets tired when he walks. And to us, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. It's hard to fully understand why, what that means, what that looks like. Why would an eternal God come down to us? And the Bible speaks about this, God saving humanity through Jesus, and it speaks about it as a mystery, something that we may not ever fully wrap our minds around. So we're in this series, Ephesians, and, and we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we've been walking through this little by little, and I want to give us some context. So if you have a Bible, open it up, Ephesians chapter 1. Get rid of this cord hanging. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. So here's the context to where we're entering into today. He starts off, this is a man named Paul. He is writing this actually in prison, and he's writing this to a church that he started, a church that he loves. And he writes the words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's putting a banner over what he's about to say of praise and worship. What Brent was just talking about, that we are going to praise and worship God the Father because he has sent us his son, Jesus. And so verses 3 through 14 is one big thought. So this was originally written in Greek. And so when he, Paul was writing this in Greek, he wrote this really long run-on sentence, 202 words. And I know in our Bibles we have verse numbers and we have periods and commas, but they didn't have that in the Greek text. It's just one long run-on sentence. And so everything we're going to talk about, because we're going to break down verses 8 through 10, that falls underneath this banner of worship. And so he's saying, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just giving us information. He's not just trying to inform us about who God is and what he's done. He's actually saying, we should be worshiping, praising at the core of who we are because he is the one who created us for himself. And so he says, blessed be God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes and he starts saying things like, because he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless that 
In love, he predestined us for adoption. These are big words that we've talked about. So if you haven't been here over the last few weeks, I really would encourage you, you can go online. We have a podcast that you can, it's just Fort Myers Community Church, that you can go listen to these because we're not going to have time to break them down. But these are the words that Scripture is using. This is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. This isn't a a debate that we want to talk about theology or doctrine. We're going to say the words that are seen here. He says chosen. He says predestined. He says adopted. To do what? To be saved by Jesus. That's what he's done. He has sent Jesus here to save us. And he had orchestrated all of this before the foundations of the world. And then last week, what Tim talked about, that he lavishes grace upon us. He lavishes grace. You know what that means? There's so much of it that it just consumes us. It overwhelms us. There's a song that says, if uh, grace was an ocean, we're just going to be sinking. Like, that's, it's just all around. Like, there's so much grace that, that we have been lavished upon. And then we pick up in verse 8. So he lavishes upon us all of the riches of his grace in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Can I pray for us? And then we'll just dive into this and eat it up. Sound good? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your son whom you have sent for us to restore relationship with us. God, I thank you for um, the passage that you have given us this morning to dive into what it looks like to uh, have a life that is centered on you. And so we love you and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So let's look at verse 8. So in wisdom, in all of his wisdom, the infinite wisdom that God has, he made known to us the mystery of his will. All right, we're talking about mysteries, right? There's this eternal God that he's making something known to us. We see this all throughout Scripture. So in the book of Job, for some of you, I know it's your favorite book. He says, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? What is Job saying? He is so huge, he's so enormous that we can't even fathom how big he is. Right? So he's, Job is, is contemplating the works of the Lord, and he's just saying, I can't even wrap my mind around him. Ephesians 4, a little further on, or Ephesians 3, verse 4, a little further on, Paul uses this phrase, the mystery of Christ. In Psalm 8, David says this, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? David's trying to wrap his mind around, God, in all of eternity, there's so much that you can concern yourself about in all of the universe, yet you know me? You know you? Like, you know us? What are you even, how are you even mindful of who we are? Colossians 1, 26 says, The mystery that has been hidden from past generations has now been made known to his saints. All right, so there's something that's been made known. So it's not a, just a mystery that is, uh, it's not a secret, but there's actually something that has uh, been put forth as um, the solution to this mystery. Jesus himself, quoted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So there is a mystery about God, this infinite eternal God, that he's putting forth in this passage that he wants us to know today. 
So this is what it says. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He, which is God the Father, made known to us the mystery of the will, his will, according to his, what's that word? Purpose. Now, a lot of times when we're translating um, from Greek to English, we kind of lose some of these words. So I want to break a couple of these words down, and then we'll bring it all together with this mystery of a dollhouse on the stage, all right? So his purpose, this actually means God's good pleasure. God's good pleasure. I mean, I love that word. When I was reading this, I was like, man, <laughs> that we have a God who is a happy God. A God who takes pleasure and delight in things. Do you know that every feeling that you've ever had in your entire life that is pleasurable is actually not sinful, but that, that you have received joy from, that is actually something that God has placed in us? God has actually created us to uh, have pleasure. He's created us to enjoy. He's created us to like stuff. Like, you ever have, like, a really good meal? Like, you just take a bite of something, and it's just like, oh, it's just, uh, for me, I love steak, right? You get, you get just a really good steak, and, and you bite into it, and it's juicy, and you're just like, man, that is, that is awesome. My wife and I went to Ember Steakhouse uh, last night on date night because of Parents Night Out. Let's hear for our Parents Night Out team. Yeah, all the parents are clapping. Um, and they have these Korean, like, barbecue wings, um, and they are just amazing. And when you take a bite, it's just all of this flavor just like smacks you right in the face. Um, and so, so we enjoy. Like God has created that ability inside of us. Like he is a good God. And he wants to not only delight in us, but he wants us to delight in him and in his stuff that he has given us. And so according to his pleasure, his good pleasure, he has made known the mystery of his will, which he has set forth in Jesus Christ. So, the, the God has solved the mystery in Jesus. He had Jesus enter into our mess. That's the solution to the mystery. This person, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And he set this as a, what does it say, plan. Now, this is where I think that this begins to kind of come full circle. That word plan is bigger than just like a, hey, this is what I'm going to do today, like a to-do list, and you're going to check the boxes. He's talking about here in the Greek a household administration. According to his household administration. So, from the beginning of time, God the Father made known to us the mystery of will, his will according to his good pleasure in Jesus as a plan, a household administration for the fullness of time. He's talking about the different seasons, like different stages of time in, in history, as well as different seasons. To unite all things in him. That word unite means to sum up. So it's like one plus two equals three, right? To sum up. So to sum up all things, he set forth this household administration to fulfill the seasons of all things in heaven and on earth. Now, I know that's a lot of information, but I don't want to just throw information at you. I want to talk about this and break this down so we can begin to wrap our minds around how actually beautiful this is. Enter the playhouse, all right? So God decided from the beginning of time that he was going to have a family. 
And he has created this house, a place that he will invite people to come and be what the Bible says is adopted into his family. And so he started with Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve are made perfect, but then they sin. And then there's another season, right? Because there's generations later, we see a man named Noah. This is the only boat I can find, right? And King Triton. All right, so Noah. And Noah is a man that seeks after the Lord's heart. And then there's another season. There's a season of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And then Jacob turns into, uh, wrestles with God, and he ends up becoming a man named Israel. God changes his name to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then those 12 tribes begin to to multiply and grow, and they become the people of God that are in Egypt in slavery, and then God frees them, and they start going through the wilderness. Are we following the story? Going through the wilderness, he parts the Red Sea for them. They go in. They take the promised land. Do we understand that the Bible that we read is not just a collection of random stories? but it's actually an articulation of seasons that God has set forth and he knows what's going to happen. He is in control of it all. And so there are these seasons. So you have uh, Adam and Eve and then you have Noah, but, but they're related to one another. And then you have Abraham and he's related to them. And then you have Isaac and Jacob. They're related to one another. The 12 tribes, they're related to one So all of these stories that we're reading about are about this household administration that God himself has set forth from the beginning of time all the way to the point of you and me. And so why has he done this? He has set this all up for one purpose, to glorify himself in the person of Jesus. The entirety of the Old Testament, which is a little bit more than half of this book, the entirety of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And then the entirety of the New Testament tells us stories about Jesus. These aren't random stories. These aren't random ideas. These aren't just weird rules that we're to follow because they're do and don'ts and, and yeah, we're, you know, because it's, and what do people think it is? It's just a religion, all right? It's just a thing to do to be a good person, you know. That's not what this is. This is a story about a holy God who has entered into our mess and has created a home for his family so that his name will be made great and so that you and I would have the opportunity to hear see and respond to his good news that he has come to save us from ourselves and to adopt us into his family. That's what the good news of Jesus is. And so when we're talking about, hey, go and share good news, when we're saying, hey, go out and tell people about Jesus, what are we saying? We're telling them to go and tell people who are broken, broken, helpless, hopeless, who have been severed from God, who will spend eternity apart from God in a real place called hell, Tell them that there is hope, and that hope is found not by being a good person, not by pulling up their bootstraps and getting to work, not by uh, trying harder and being better, not by being your best Jew and following your heart because your heart is the best thing of all things. No, we're actually saying your heart is wicked, 
and you are helpless and hopeless, and you need a Savior that will usher you into his family to enjoy him and to dine with him. That's what this book talks about. That is the good news of Jesus. And so for the fulfillment of time, it's God's good pleasure to set up this household administration for us so that from the, for the fullness of time, for the fullness of all seasons, that everything will be summed up in Jesus. Is that good news or what? Okay, so how is the mystery solved? By Jesus being placed in the center. I don't know about you, but I like to be in the center. And I think if I was looking through your eyes, you would probably say the same. And I think if we picked apart every single one of our lives, we would see that we live our lives in such a way where we are the center. I mean, I grew up in an Italian household, and, and it was, it's interesting to watch because you're taught manners, and you're, right, you're taught to let a lady go first, but when it came to mealtime, the men always got their food first. I don't know why that was, um, but why? But it, was this, it was this thing inside of you. It's like, I need to get what I need to get, right? I want to make sure I get my plate full before so that we don't run out of the things that I really like. That's completely backwards, but that's how we live. We live our lives of taking the stuff that we want, how we want, when we want, because we like to be in the center. Maybe not you. I'll just talk about me. I like to be in the center. I like it to be about me. And that's the curse from the beginning of time. That's why Adam and Eve ate the thing that they weren't supposed to eat. Because they thought, hey, maybe life would be a little bit better if I was in the center. If I was what life was all about. But there is a God who is way bigger than any one of us who not only deserves to be in the center, but is in the center no matter what you and I say. And so, what does this mean? Why is it important to know the solution to this mystery? Why is it important to know that Jesus is the center? John 14, 6. Jesus himself is saying this. And I think this speaks to our culture who would say there are multiple ways to get to heaven. But it's really important. If you're going to say, if you're going to profess with your mouth, I am a Christian, then you are saying, I follow Christ. And this is what Christ said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He is the end all be all. He is the center. He is the only way. So it's important to understand that this mystery that we all walk around with, and and this is not just a Christian mystery. Like if you are ever rubbing shoulders with your neighbors, your coworkers, friends, family members, we all wrestle about what this life is all about. There is this rest, I mean, go on social media. Like, it's constantly asking the question, why are we alive? This gives us one purpose. The world gives us another purpose. The world's purpose is uh, for you to be the best you you can be and get the most stuff you can possibly get before you die. This says, take your life, lay it down, and worship and serve God alone. Those are two very different purposes. 
And so it's important to know the solution to this because there is this whole entire bucket of other dolls that are out here that are not in there. And this whole entire bucket of, of people need to know the good news of Jesus, that he has come to give them life and life to the full. And the good news is, is not that he says, you're over here and you have to work your way into my family. You're over here and you have to take this long journey to get into my home. No, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and this is the only religion that says this. It says that he came to us. Does that not blow your mind? That every other religion in the entire world says you have to work your way to get to the place where you're in a place of heaven or safety or whatever you want to call it. Prosperity. The Bible, Christianity, is the only thing that says in your mess, in your brokenness, you were dead in your trespasses and sin and God came to you and made you alive. That's why it's so important to understand the solution to this mystery. We're not going out and telling people, hey, you know, you got to clean your life up. you gotta, you got to be better. You know, you can't do that. No, we're going to people and say, hey, you're screwed up. I'm screwed up. And we need a Savior. We need Jesus. And so how does knowing this impact my life? Well, in his plan, in his household administration, it is God's good pleasure for us to experience joy and peace. Let me say that again. In his plan and household administration, it is God's good pleasure for us to experience joy and peace. See, in his house, there are directions that help us understand what it means to enjoy life, experience peace, and receive joy. And they're pretty clear. Don't steal. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't covet. Live your life to give and be generous. Give more away, not hoard. Live your life in such a way that you love others more than yourself. Love God above all else and have a personal, intimate relationship with him. This isn't like huge rocket science. Like, do you think that we can go into the world and say, hey, is it probably better that I not sleep with my neighbor's wife? Yep. Hey, is it better that I don't steal from my company? Yep. So he has set these things forth, not as rules to inhibit our joy, but he's actually set these rules to say, hey, this is where you experience joy and peace and love, and family. And then he's given us order in that home through his church, his bride. That's a good thing. Our, we're in a culture right now, especially in America, where we only want what we want. And, and so what we've done is we've said, hey, here's the family of God, and God has said this family is going to fall underneath um, this family's going to fall underneath elders, and they're going to have deacons, and they're going to serve one another. And we're going, nah, it's okay. I'm going to do my own thing over here. I'm going to live outside of the, the, what God has said in his word is a healthy way of life, and I'm going to just do it my own way. 
I'm going to isolate. I'm going to um, just do church online. Like, those are things that we've all of a sudden done and we've created where we've kind of fallen outside of living in community with one another. And so we have stopped looking at this and saying, okay, God, what have you said? And we started going into here and saying, okay, what do we want? What do we want to do? How do we want to do it? What's best for us? Who seems like the center in that? And so he has set forth this household administration for our joy and our good. Now, here's the thing. There's also, because we live in this earth, in this world, um, and Christ hasn't returned yet, sin happens in here as well. And that's why you see churches have pastors fall, and that's why you see churches have things happen within them that that end up breaking things, because we're imperfect people. That's why we try our best here to have accountability and plurality and leadership and accountability that comes around one another to help us so that we um, don't make those really big mistakes. But guess what? Tim and I are sinners, and we're not perfect. And if you begin to put us up on this pedestal, that only Jesus belongs on, we're going to let you down and we're going to crumble under that weight. And so, knowing this impacts my life because it allows me to understand that there is this household administration, this plan that God, for his good pleasure, has given us so that we can experience joy and peace. And then, what am I supposed to do with this now? What am I supposed to do now that the mystery is solved? Well, one, first thing we're supposed to do is enjoy him. The best part of this household that he has created is the fact that we get him. I heard a theologian say this one time. He said, if you take all the things that you can think of of heaven, the streets of gold and the mansions and all the stuff that is maybe alluded to in scripture, if you take all that and you put that aside and all you have is the person of God, And then you take all that stuff that you think is really cool and you put it in another camp, but there is no God. Which one would you choose? Would you rather have the place that's filled with all the stuff and the mansions and the cars and the streets of gold and all the stuff and the food, infinite food that's just going to taste amazing? Or would you choose the place that God is? See, the mystery is solved and, and what we do with that is we get to enjoy him, a personal intimate, real relationship with our Father. That's what we're invited into. So reading the Bible is not just a checklist. It's not just something you have to do because you say, I'm a Christian, so I have to do it. It's something we get to do so that we can know our Father more. It's something that we we paste around our house and start memorizing because we realize that this gives us the heart of our Father. This helps us understand who he is and what he has done for us. If he's so infinite, then it's never going to get old. I was telling my wife even this week, I was saying, man, I've been opening up the Bible lately, and it's just kind of been, I think the word I used was like mundane. It just kind of is like, I I know this story already. I know this story already. The Bible says that this is living and active. And what's happening is I'm not pressing into a relationship with my father. I'm just reading it for information. And so we get to get on our knees and repent and sit before our Lord in prayer. We get to fast We get to be generous. We get to do the things that this tells us to do, to enjoy him. And then we get to enjoy the family he's placed us in, in our season, right? Maybe we're not hanging out with Noah right now, but we get a family that surrounds us that we get to sit with and enjoy. There's a group of men. If you're you're a man and you're available at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, we've just started meeting here. 9 a.m., we're here, and we're opening up the Bible and going through the Word. 
And man, I sit with these guys, and it has been so fruitful just to sit and talk about God's Word. There are um, some of our women, they started a thing called Apples of Gold, and now they're going to be doing some different uh, monthly gatherings so that the women can come together. We have community groups that meet throughout the week so that we can get together and share a meal together and enjoy the Word together and live life together so we can be praying for one another. This is the family that Christ has invited us into. This is why He came to us to bring us back into His family to enjoy him. And so we get to enjoy the family that he's placed around us. And too often what we're doing is we're bouncing from church to church to church so we can find the best band and the best communicator. That's not the church. Any monkey in a suit can get up on this stage and draw a crowd. It's not about entertaining you. It's about being a part of a family. And to be a part of a family, I can tell you in my house, we all participate. If I was raising up kids that w- I was serving them hand and foot and not ever asking them to do a thing until the time that they were 18, I would be a bad dad. Because what I'd be creating is a consumer and someone who is super spoiled. And guess what, church? We have created a culture of Christians that are spoiled and that are just coming in and out of different buildings. Let's find the next one. Let's find the next one. Oh, we don't like that they said this. We don't like that they said that. Oh, oh, they, they. And then all of a sudden, we, we find these little things, and we just bounce around, and we never get involved in the life of the family. God has given us a family to enjoy. But you can't enjoy them if you're bouncing out every few months. So God has invited us to come in and enjoy one another through relationship with one another. And guess what? That's messy too. <laughs> it's not going to be perfect. One of my buddies said to me before we were planting this church, he said, man, if you go and find the perfect church, you better run because you're going to ruin it. Yes, you will ruin it because you're not perfect. And you're never going to find the perfect church. But what you can find is a church that depends fully in the word of God and trusts fully in the spirit of God. And then the last thing. What am I supposed to do now that the mystery is solved? Enjoy him, enjoy the family, and then invite every single person around you to do the same. That's what it means to make disciples. For now, his household exists in a world that doesn't know him. And what God has done is he invites us to go with him in the world. And I don't know why he's orchestrated it this way. Again, another mystery for me. Why he invites you and me to be a part of his mission to reach every man, woman, and child. But he has invited us to come with him into this bucket, into this world, and invite people not to a church service. Let me make that clear. To invite them to know the God of all things and to invite them into a relationship with him. Now, if that person lives up in Orlando, you're not inviting them to come to this place. You're inviting them to be a part of the family of God globally if they live in Haiti or Nicaragua, like Mark's working at, right? So that's, we're inviting people to know Jesus, the person of Jesus. That's when we go into work. That's when we go into the gym. That's when we go into Starbucks. We are bringing the light of the gospel in and inviting them to know that there is a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. And he's invited you to be a part of that mission. And if, if you try to use the thing, well, that's just not my gifting. No, 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 no. It's a command in Scripture that he tells every single believer to do. 
because he knows that you will receive joy and peace when you do it. So he says, go therefore and make disciples, telling them to know me and love me and enjoy me and follow all that I have commanded because it is here where they will find life and peace. Out there, they will only experience death. What we need to do, church, is start walking around into our neighborhoods and into our places of work and seeing people as being fully dead, being separated from an eternal God and saying, I know where there is life. And there is life in the person of Jesus. So if he is the center of everything we do, we stop caring about, well, I wonder what they're going to think of me. Oh, they're going to think I'm a religious nut. I tell you what, if any one of my neighbors was standing in the road and didn't see a car coming, I would do everything in my ability to get them out of that road. Yell, scream, run, try to get them out of the way. What the people around us will experience for all of eternity, an eternal separation from the God who created them, because they're image bearers as well. What they will experience in that is way worse than getting hit by a truck. We need to bring his good news to every man, woman, and child and invite them to know him. And then once they come to know him, man, invite them to participate in the life of the family. Invite them to come and know that that there is a family that will surround them and love them and enjoy life with them and actually be okay with messing up and be okay with not having it all together, right? Even Brent even said that as he was up here, right? Hey, sound went, went a little awry and, and things, you know what? We're here to worship God, not a song. So it doesn't matter that the mic clicks in and out. It doesn't matter that we have some boxes out and stuff because we're, we're trying to renovate stuff. No, no, no. This is just a place. We are the church. And we get to leave this place and go share that good news with every man, woman, and child we come in contact with. Amen? Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus, I'm so thankful that we get to open up your word and hear the plan of your good pleasure for our lives and every life of the people that surround us every single day. And God, I pray that you would spark something in us that would cause us to want to go and share this good news with everybody around us. That we wouldn't just leave it to chance, but that we actually would go and and speak this good news. We don't have to be trained. We don't have to be... um, go through certain classes, we have your word and we have the church that will rally together around us and walk with us as we go out and share our testimony that we have met and found the Savior of all things and that he loves every man, woman, and child and he invites them into a relationship with him. God, I pray that we would be the type of church that would be a part of this mission, that we would be the type of church that would join you on mission to share your good news everywhere. And God, as we live within this household administration that you have created for us, God, I pray that that we would experience joy and peace, God. That we would know you and love you. That we would enjoy you, God. God, if there's anybody here today that has never placed their faith, their hope, 
their trust in you as their Lord and Savior. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would do only what your Holy Spirit can do, which is bring somebody out of death into light. God, I pray that you would stir something inside of them to make them want to know more, to make them want to, to read your word. To Right now, God, I pray that you open up their eyes to the fact that you are real, that you are good, and that your mercy endures forever. God, if there's anybody here today that feels like that their sin is too deep, that their sin is too heavy, that their sin is, is, is just something that can't be overcome, God, I pray that they would understand the power of your cross. I pray that they would understand that it doesn't matter how sinful they have been, but that you have come to save them in that, to pull them out of that, and to bring them into life. God, we are so thankful that you have lived the life that we couldn't live, that you died the death that we couldn't die, and that you rose again so that you and I, that we all would experience eternity enjoying you and one another. God, thank you for your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.